With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Lots of things are better together. Hockey, food, golf. How about a cold one on the patio during a nice spring day? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. All right, we've had a few days in the process, the NFL draft, and what exactly happened. But seriously, Mike, everybody has an opinion on it. Everybody thinks everybody. the New York Giants are crazy. Right. And I think this is the key. For us, you and I are not Game of Thrones fans, but the Battle of Winterfell occurred on Sunday night. <laughs> uh, six characters Educate died. On you know, this, please. So six characters died. None of the major characters did. But Arya Stark is this incredible character who saves everybody. So I can draw it tangentially to that audience, all the Game of Thrones fans who you and I are not. Because Game of Thrones creator George R.R. R. Martin, nobody is more pissed at the Giants than him <laughs> for picking Daniel Jones. Here's what he had to say. Daniel Jones from Duke at number six. Yes, they need a young quarterback to groom as Eli's successor, but Dwayne Haskins is right there. Why not him? I don't follow college ball, but every measurable Haskins is way better than Jones. He threw 52 touchdowns in three years at Duke. Haskins threw 50 in one year at Ohio State. Few interceptions against much tougher opposition. Was there anybody there with you in Vegas who actually said, hey, Dave Gettleman, good pick. Uh, you know, I think George must have watched the Baylor-Duke game from 2017 <laughs> when he had a, like a 19 quarterback rating or something. <laughs> like that. You know, the fascinating thing about Dave Gettleman is I don't know how the Giants keep allowing him to talk to the media without a lawyer sitting next to him. Like, seriously, at some point, uh, no, objection to the question. He can't answer. Under counsel, I can't answer that, you know? Like, at some point, you know, he actually looks like... Uh, What's that guy in The Godfather before Frank Pantanzi got up there, Cheech? Oh, yeah, yeah Cheech. Cheech. <laughs> he's like, Cheech, he's like, he's just talking. Like, at some point, stop. Right. Stop talking. And I think the thing for Giant fans that no one really talks about, and no one's asked Edelman about this question, which mm -hmm. this could completely be an objection by the lawyer. We'd have to have suspended. We'd have to advice, yeah. you know, is this quarterback, Daniel Jones, better than Tui from Alabama? No way. Is he better than from Habert from Oregon? No. Okay, so that's really the comparison. Right. Because when you s turn that card in at six, you're saying this guy has Pro Bowl potential. He's one of the six best players in the draft, and we're going to never worry about a quarterback for the next 10 years. Insane. Okay, so now if you go and win four games, which we know that the I don't think the Giants can win. I think the Giants are about a four-win team, right? Mm-hmm. That would put them with the 49ers last year. The 49ers won four games, I think. The Wait. Cardinals won three, right? Yeah. And so four or five, if you think you're going to win four or five or six, you're going to be in the top ten picks, right? Now, that's mm -hmm. not going to get you two of these quarterbacks, right? Right. But you're saying that say you get the first or second pick in the draft, okay? Yeah. Does Gettleman say, oh, i got a bonanza now. I've got Daniel Jones. I don't need Tui. I don't need Herbert. Right. I don't need either one of these guys. I'm going to trade him for a bonanza of picks. But you still end up with the bad quarterback. Right. 
that's the crazy part is that there's multiple facets. One, I don't think Jones is that great. We agree on that. Right. Two, he clearly didn't need to be taken at six. He would have been available at 17 or in the second round. He, at one point, Drew Locke was thought to be the second best quarterback available. He didn't go to 42nd at Denver, which I think is a good value pick for right. Elway. At that at that slot, fine. Big arm guy from Missouri. Everybody knew the Redskins liked Haskins, so they weren't going to take Jones. Yeah, so at the very least, don't take him at six. Take a pass rusher. Take Josh Allen. They had 15 defensive guys taken in the first round. I think that's the most in the NFL since the draft era. And so it was so obvious, Mike, take a pass rusher. Yeah, I, I, again, he's not looking. Uh, to me, There, there's somebody who said this to me during the draft, and it's so true. Most teams look like they were collecting baseball cards yeah. as opposed to building a draft, right? And I think that's what the Giants were doing. I have a need a quarterback. I'm going to check it off. Now, Sam Darnold, I didn't like him at two because I like Barkley, so I'm going to take Sam. I'm not taking Darnold. But next year, I like Daniel Jones as much as I like Josh Allen. Like, nothing makes sense. There's no plan here. There's nothing. Whereas if you come out and say, look, I'm taking Josh Allen. Yep. And I'm going to move up from 17. If I get my quarterback, big deal. If I don't get him, I'll pick another player. I got next year. I'm, maybe I'll go trade for Josh Rosen. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'll do something else. Something else is going to happen. But there's no way I'm going to ruin this opportunity with the Odell Beckham trade and where I'm picking based on the losing season to cash it in for a backup quarterback. Like, it makes no sense. And what it tells you is there's a thing called false duality in any time you make a decision. So when we make a decision, we think there's A or B to the decision. Mm -hmm. I either like A or I like B. But guys like Belichick, guys that aren't collecting baseball cards, always think of C, D, and E for the decision. Okay, if I take this quarterback, Jones, that I don't really need these two quarterbacks next year, and in your mind you're thinking, if I suck it off next year, then I'm going to trade him for a bonanza. Well, that's you're still down a quarterback. Right. You still need a quarterback. Here, one of the crazier quotes Gettleman said was that in three years, people will find if I'm not saying, oh, three years? You think you got three more years? <laughs> are you, are you, you're clearly insane that you think you got three more years in the job? Because they, they think, Mike, that Jones is not certainly walking this year. They think Eli at 38 is going to give them at least a year or two more production. Right. Are you kidding me? So why not? If that's what you really think, right. then why not just wait and see if Eli flutters out again yeah. and then have the first or second pick in the draft, tank it, Right. And get one of these guys or put yourself into the Trevor Lawrence derby no, in two years from now. No question. Like Next year, Tua and Herbert are huge. And you're right. Trevor Lawrence, two years from now, those guys are can't miss. They That's the conversation that should be happening after the draft. That right. As soon as that card got turned into a quarterback, that's the conversation. Because, look, if I got them in the second round, and, and, and to me, they were all second round quarterbacks, potential starters. Yeah. They were not starters. And I think Elway deserves props for saying, you know what? I like Luck, but he ain't a starter. He has potential to start, but he ain't a starter. Yeah. Drew Lock at 42 is a good value That's pick. a potential starter, right? Yeah. You know, even Haskins. I mean, are you kidding me? Haskins is a potential starter. And, and you know, I give the Redskins credit for this. At least they didn't overpay for him. Yeah. I mean, most Redskins fans, because of the Haskins pick, are at the point where they say, well, at least we didn't overpick for him. I mean, it's like, you know, being on the Titanic and it's sinking. At least I got on a lifeboat, right? <laughs> You know, <laughs> the guy's still playing piano over there. He's in worse shape than exactly. I am. He has to keep playing till the boat goes down. Exactly. So, I mean, you know, I mean, you can manage all this all you want. But right. to me, I think what, what it shows is when Gettleman's talking, it shows he doesn't think about this in a long-term interest. He's got three first-round picks in the first round. He obviously thinks his team's way better than it really is. Yeah, I think that's a good point. He actually thinks that they're close to contention, which they clearly are not. Uh, other major talking point was Josh Rosen. Of course, Kyler Murray... 
Hey, you know, let's do Raiders first because you know I, I know exactly what Mike Mayock did. He watched one college football game. He watched the national championship, and that's why four of his eight picks are either from Alabama or Clemson. He went there. Yeah, he went to the game. He went to the game. He falls in love with them. He goes, hey, you know what? These guys are great. I got my one game. I checked that off. Wow, these guys are awesome. Cleveland Furl, I saw play for Clemson. By the way, Alabama, most picks, again, they had 10. Ohio State had nine. So, again, big schools get recognition. I get that. Cleveland Furl was like a late first round guy. Yeah, there's not. that's absurd at number forty. Get again, I get Mike. You fall in love with a guy. Hey, I see a six foot blonde. All of a sudden, I got you know, uh, love is in the air. Well, that's great. You know what Parcel says? That's big boobs. Anytime you know you, you fell in love with the big boobs. That's Parcel's <laughs> exactly. line. Like you fell in love with the big boobs. Furl's not even the best defensive player on that Clemson no. team. No, I mean, what do you think Christian Wilkin did when he turned that? When he saw that he went for? I mean, what do you think? He looked at his agent and said, yeah. "You're fired. Yeah, You're like, fired." Christian You're Wilkin's right. clearly the best guy on that defense. I think that's why he was so pissed Wait. when he saw Gadelli. Give him the huge fist bump. Here's what what I don't understand. Look, I'm a true believer, and it doesn't matter where we pick them. It matters how we play. But there is truly value to the draft. There is statescraft, and there is value to this thing, right? And if you like Farrell, which we all liked Farrell, but Al Davis rolled over in his grade three times. Okay, three times. Not just (laughs) once he rolled over when this car got turned, and he rolled over three times. Because unlike a quarterback who doesn't run a 40, Lamar Jackson, Yeah. He didn't run a 40. Can you imagine Al Davis taking a kid in the draft at defensive line who you have to trace Patrick Mahomes down, track him down, mm-hmm. and he doesn't run a 40? Like his pro day, he still had something wrong with him. He's telling you I can't run because he's dodging the 40. Yeah. He's saying I can't run. Meanwhile, we're turning the card in at four. It reminds me of when the 76ers, the idiots that they are at the time, right? <laughs> And I'm living it. Sean Bradley refused to work out. David Falk engineered that right. Sean Bradley, the big kid from BYU, he ain't working out for anybody. Mm-hmm. Okay, of course, naturally, we go hook, line, and sinker. Don't take Penny Hardaway. Don't take Chris Weber. Here we are. We're going to take care you know, because he's seven foot nine, right? But right. he won't work out. Mm-hmm. There's a reason he's not working out. You got something to hide. You got something to hide. It's the same thing here. Like, okay, I get you like the kid. I get it. I get you want this character. Meanwhile, they're talking out of both sides of their mouth. We want character. Oh, welcome, Antonio Brown. Welcome, Montez Burger. <laughs> but we want character. Okay. Right. All right. Now, if you want, you got 24. Trade up from 24 to go get him. Pick a legitimate player at four that's valuable at four. Pick Devin White at four. Mm-hmm. Pick Devin White at four and say, you know what? I'm getting a blue chip player here at four. I don't care what anybody, I'm getting blue, I'm getting value for my pick. I can't trade down. Peter King wrote in his column they couldn't trade down. I grant you they couldn't trade down. Okay, mm-hmm. fine. All right, I get that. It was hard to trade up there. Probably nobody would have paid the price. But you could have gone from 24 up, there's no doubt. Yeah. You could have gone up and you could have gotten your guy. You could have got Devin White. Instead, they go down and they think, oh, we got Josh Jacobs at 20, right? Yeah, the running back, Josh, he was 24, yeah. Okay, now here's the other thing, which is remarkable, right? The Eagles jump them. And Peter writes that the, they thought in the Raider draft room that they were going to pick the running back. They were never picking the running back, jumping them. They were picking the tackle. Yeah. So now you know when you're on the clock at the draft, you have full control of the draft. It's the only time you have full control. You have everything, right? Mm-hmm. The Eagles just jumped you. They picked Diller. Now you have your pick. You can do whatever the hell you want. You know no team's coming to pick a running back. The next running back, if you pick J- Jacobs, it's a little bit like playing pool. I'm going to sink the sixth ball, and then I'm move the white ball back to hit the seven ball in, right? Yeah, like, yeah. set it up, right? But no, naturally, because we know Gruden's running the draft, they can't wait to run up and turn the card in for Josh Jacobs. They can't yeah. wait. Got to have him, right? Yeah. Instead of maneuvering the draft, trade down a little bit. Okay, we can get down. Pick a corner. Pick the best corner you want there. And then we got the top of the second. We'll trade that pick up. Like, there's value to the pick. Again, it's just turning in. You're basically turning in baseball cards. And then what they're doing is they're saying, the needs of our team is right there. So we're checking off these needs. But what people 
and I urge everybody to understand this clearly, the draft is never about this year's team. It's always about the following year team. Right. And you don't know what the team needs are. You have no idea what they are. And if you take a player that's really good and you happen to be stacked at that player, it goes back to an Al Davisism, which is basically this, build strength on strength. Okay, you know, and so to me, it's clearly the case of somebody, the coach wanting to run the draft, the coach wanting the players, and the GM really not understanding value based on the picks because he just turned the card in. Four for Farrell, to me, Insane. everybody in the league's laughing at that. Giants and Raiders, definitely the most head-scratching moves. I thought one of the smartest picks of the day was the Dolphins by getting Josh Rosen. You say, all right, listen, we need a quarterback because the Cardinals made through with Kyler Murray. If that works out, great. Again, Cliff Kingsbury comes in and says, listen, I want the Cadillac. I'm going to make him a star Awesome. You're the quarterback guru. We all know it because you talk about it. You look like Ryan Gosling. I got it. Right. But for the Dolphins, hey, you got a guy who probably was a first-round pick. We certainly was a year ago, and everybody's bored. If this guy now pans out, that's great value for what you gave up for. No doubt. I mean, if let me say this. If Josh Rosen was unscathed in this draft, he's better than Daniel Jones. There's right. no denying that. He'd be I the mean, second-best quarterback in this draft. There's no denying that. So, if again, that proves why would you not take the best player at six and then deal with the quarterback issue, especially when you look at next year. Like, to me, I'll tell you, the other team I thought did a really good job in the draft, and they didn't even pick in the first round, the Indianapolis Colts. Hmm. Because the, the Colts were just disciplined in what they were doing. Mm -hmm. I mean, the Patriots sit there at 32 and get the best receiver in the draft. Right. You know, they get the best receiver in the draft, a guy that can impact their team. I mean, there's so many teams that just keep falling over themselves, they can't help them. And, and it, it benefits the teams that are patient. And the draft is to – it's about evaluating talent, but it's also about how you build your football team. And these are just trading cards in. I think that definitely a lot of teams listened to the GM shuffle last week because when you were deploring the fact that how on earth could DK Metcalf be the first receiver taken, he doesn't get taken until Seattle in the third round. And when they called him to tell him, he said, what took so long? Yeah. Because you had said, listen, this guy is incredibly limited. Yeah, with his shirt off, he's incredible. He's a physical specimen, but he can run three routes. And I was interesting to see after you had said that to me last week, Anybody who jumps on them, they're making a mistake, especially if it's early. Nobody really did. Third round was later than you would have thought, right. especially after the combine results. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, look, in Seattle, look, I think the one thing about him with Russell Wilson, because he's going to run around. Deep routes. Deep routes. So throw the ball down the field, see if he can make a play. And, and the one thing he is, he's a little bit, he's the Steve Kerr of football. You get, he, you're going to have to defend him now. Right. One thing when you line him up, he spaces the field. Mm-hmm. you got to go defend him. you got to go line up there and out there and defend him. So, you know, I, I mean, look. The one thing about receivers, I, like I, everybody talks about Baltimore taking Hollywood Brown. I think Hollywood Brown's a really good player. Mm -hmm. But when you have Lamar Jackson, okay, your team is really built on defense and your team is built on playing from in front. I don't think people truly understand this. The number one stat in football is first-half point differential. When you have the lead at halftime, you have a better chance of winning. The teams that go to the Super Bowl – always are in the top five of first-half point differential. When you look at it last year, Kansas City, the Rams. The year before that, it was New England and Philadelphia. The year before that, it was New England and Atlanta. When you get the lead and play from in front, that's what Lamar Jackson gave Baltimore last year. He gave them – they played from in front. And now Baltimore takes a receiver because they're under this pretense that they need to increase the, the talent around Lamar Jackson. Mm -hmm. And they take a, a, another fast vertical receiver – well, they needed guys that could run with the ball after the catch. Like, to me, Harry was the better player. There's right. no doubt. I mean, Harry was – because all the – and I heard him on TV say, well, you know, he runs all – it's almost like – you know what's fascinating about the draft is how you can tell teams are helping guys that are on TV yeah. with their thoughts because it's almost like in Black Ops. You know, you know, you know in JFK when – 
when Mr. X is down in uh, Australia and he's reading the papers and he already knows that Oswald has been you know, arrested, <laughs> yeah. you know, and he said it was strictly black ops. This is how we would have handled it, right? <laughs> yeah. That's what I think of every time I'm listening to the draft when one of the guys on team, oh, this is perfect for the Ravens because he can run all the routes that Lamar wants. Right. No, he can't. Yeah. No, he can't. I, I mean, so he throws it, runs a bubble screen. He weighs 185 pounds. He's going to tackle his little ass, right? <laughs> Right? It was all black ops. It was yeah. all like, we're going to feed the story. Oswald did it, so we'll feed the story out there. Right. And that's what they do. And, and DaCosta is the greatest at it. I mean, he can't, nobody's better at, at propaganda than the GM of the Ravens. So, right. you know, he can do it better than anybody. I, I, I find it fascinating, especially when, when you look at some of these things, when you hear these draft grades or you hear the, like, at some point, stop people. These are all gra- grades based on what that person thinks, not based on what the league thinks. Yeah, and that's where it comes open to interpretation. I also thought the Bills did a good job. They got Ed Oliver at number nine. Great job. Again, patience, right? You get your defensive tackle. You didn't trade up for him. He's right there. They made some other good value picks. The Eagles, you mentioned earlier, Andre Dillard, offensive tackle. You also get Miles Sanders, who's a running back. You get J.J. Arcega-Whitehead, receiver from Stanford. Smart picks. I think the Eagles did a great job. I think the Eagles might have gotten the best running back. I'm not sure Miles Sanders is not better than Jacobs. Frankly, I think he is. I'm with you on that. Okay, I think he is. I think they got the better running back and for a way better value. Mm-hmm. Like, wait, think about it. That 24 to 52, you got basic and, and say, just hypothetically say Jacobs is a 64 mm-hmm. and say they gave Sanders a 63. Do you realize the difference? You real, Now, this is the horizontal board. This is the vertical board and the horizontal board, right? right. You When you didn't trade down, after the Eagles jumped you to pick Dillard and you didn't move, you really don't understand the horizontal board. You're locked in on your need. And that's how you make mistakes. And I mean, look, people can talk about it all they want. I, I think that comes down to experience. Like once the Eagles jumped you, and they're the only real team in competing for you for a running back, mm-hmm. you got the you got the world by the tail. Now you're sitting there saying, "I got it all, man. I'll move down. I get the best corner. I can get whatever I want." Instead, you got to take this and start announcing that how everybody loves it. Don't you find it fascinating how? People defend their draft based on other people. Gettleman coming out and saying, I know of, I know for a fact two teams. We can't find those two teams. <laughs> right. They try to say, well, other teams were desirous of this guy, so it was actually smart when we got him. Well, who cares? Right. Like, how, how does that be? Because something was attractive. Well, it doesn't mean that it's right necessarily. Well, how do you know they're telling you the truth? Right. It, as you said to us last week, this is the season of lying. Every one of those guys was lying left and right. It, it's so bad. It, it, it's so bad. And I think, you know, when you look at it, like Baltimore, I, I like to pick Marquise Brown there. I mean, I thought, you know. Wide receiver out of Oklahoma, 25th. I mean, I, I didn't understand that. I, you know, the other thing that surprised me, I got to give Atlanta credit. Typically, Atlanta ignores their offensive line. Mm. And they trade back into the set. Because I think what, what Atlanta did there by trading up to get Chris Lindstrom. Well, they got Lindstrom there. And then McCrary, the tackle. Right. What we saw at the top of the second was a bunch of tackles start to go. Right. Okay. So that tells you they knew the tackle market was going to go. Unlike the Raiders, who go ahead and take a running back, mm-hmm. and then the, all the corners start to go at the top of the second. And they got to take the last corner or whatever corner. Now I'm sure they're going to come out and say, "Look, we got the corner we wanted." Yeah, right. Okay, yeah, fine. Yeah. You didn't take the, but you could have taken Byron Murphy there, right there, and you would have had him, mm-hmm. and you could have still had the running back. So again, it's all value. So I think you got to anticipate part of what's going on. Right. All right, Mike, do not forget to thank the real pros this Mother's Day. Where would you and I both be without our moms, right? There's, you know, there is no doubt. And, you know, it's funny, as you get older in life and you lose your mom, you think about all the things that your mom did for you and kind of, you know, and that Mother's Day is always a day, even if your mom's passed away, a day to remember your mom, a day to think about your mom. It's truly, you know, we only get one mama and... (laughs) 
I think it's the perfect time to really express those words. You and I are both proud parents. We know how much fun it is, how rewarding it is. And the biggest thing when I think of moms is sacrifice. Think of all the sacrifices your mom made to get you to where you are today. Yeah. Like yeah. I, I can imagine where I'd be without my mom putting in so much effort for me and my brother. You know, and then you get older and you watch your wife do the same thing and you <laughs> yeah. watch now your kids see their mom, you right. know, do from go from here to there. And of course, I'm never home, <laughs> so I'm not doing anything and I'm not picking up here, picking up there. Right. And then you watch this and so you, then you appreciate your mom even more because yes. you see what she was able to do. And I agree. It, it's harder over time just to appreciate what all these moms do. But honestly, here's how you can do it. With Pro Flowers, let you choose a variety of bouquets, unique vases suit every mom style. They carefully package the flowers and I'm telling you right now, now, Mike, if I get my wife fresh flowers, you know, ecstatic, she's going to be express delivery. The flowers stay fresh. It's such a meaningful gesture. Yeah. And I think it's the perfect way to start the weekend, right? It's Mother's Day. It's, right. you know, it's important to have it as a full day. It's just not, I can't right. give you a gift. Like there's got to be some thought, give it to it. And the way to start that day is with pro flowers. Have a dozen delivered in a vase. It's absolutely gorgeous. It starts it and then make sure you end the day with another gift. Let's get it done. One dozen assorted roses for $19.99. Double the roses, get a premium vase for just $9.99 more. Visit proflowers.com. Click the microphone in the upper right corner and enter my code GM Shuffle. That's proflowers.com. Click the microphone, code GM Shuffle. Mother's Day is May 12th. So don't wait. Order like a pro and get this amazing rose deal to thank all the moms in your life yeah don't waste any time don't be like me and wait till the last minute all right anytime you're on the golf course you always hear the phrase hit it long and hit it straight well as somebody who's a novice to the game of golf a new person i wanted to make sure i had the best equipment possible so as a novice golfer i went and hit up our friends over at pxg because they have an all-new driver called the black ops i mean my man chris over in henderson has hooked me up with a phenomenal driver that's built to my game my new game that doesn't really do much of anything on the course but it has what i need in terms of the club head speed and the kind of grip that i need to go out there and be the best to my ability i mean this is music to ears to any golfer whether you're a novice like myself or if you've been playing the game for decades the pxg black ops driver is a breakthrough in driver technology. It's a complete and total victory in golf club engineering unlike anything you've ever seen before. Black Op drivers are adjustable to deliver a combined MOI of 10,000 plus for unreal forgiveness. That's just ridiculously high. So what you got to do Go check out the PXG Black Ops Driver. You'll be as impressed with it as I am. Learn more and get free shipping on all equipment at pxg.com slash gmshuffle and use code gmshuffle at checkout. That's pxg.com slash gmshuffle, code gmshuffle for free shipping on all equipment, pxg.com slash gmshuffle, code gmshuffle. As we transition to day two and day three of the draft, are you at all astonished by the kind of numbers this generates? Like last year, remember, the, you know, especially quarterbacks, first round, four guys taken. I get why people were so locked in. The ratings, Mike, there's like three and a half million people watch names being read aloud by other grown men. Like there, there's there's no actual football act. It's just names being read. You have to wait for 12 minutes. Like why are the Cardinals taking, everyone knew in the world they're going to take Kyler Murray. We're going to wait till the full 10 minutes, make their pick. The ratings were gigantic. Did you ever as a lifelong football guy go, you know what? There's going to be more people watching a bunch of names being read than NHL playoff games, some Major League Baseball playoff games, some NBA playoff games don't rate as high as the draft. And everybody says football's dying. Sure. I mean, seriously. Right. I mean, I, I mean, it's remark. I mean, I'm a draft nick, so I get it. Sure, I love it. And you know, when I used to, when I took the train, when I was a fat kid at, at Hofstra, <laughs> and I would take the train in on the Long Island Railroad and park here and go to the Sheraton and wait in line. There was only 500 people you could. Yeah, that, that was all you could do to hear the names. Right yeah. now, you could sit there and you know. 
I mean, it's remarkable that, and then you have to wait, you know, like I was getting texts from people to let me know what the picks are because the picks are turned in. Right. The picks are turned in. Like the, the networks are three picks sometimes behind, especially as you get later in the draft. Yeah. Because they got to run commercials. They got to do all this. Oh, we come back here and we'll give it, you know, and as a fan, you want it instantaneous, you know? Now, that, is, is there any rules there, by the way, that you have them? Can you tweet it out? Ahead? You can't, right? You know, gotta, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's it's very draconian. Yeah. Right, right. The other thing I think what teams should do is, is I think the good teams the smart teams, like if you're the Raiders mm-hmm. and you're Mike Mayock, and this is the first time you've ever run a draft, okay? And it's way different than sitting next to Rich Eisen. It's way different. Mm-hmm. You should always take snapshots of the board. So good teams take snapshots of their draft board. So let's say at 14, we take a snapshot. At 19, we take a snapshot. At 24, when we're on the clock. Because what you want to do is this week, you want to go back in the room and you want to look at this and you want to say, you know what? I think I blew an opportunity here. You know, Jacobs went, we picked Jacobs at 24. Look mm-hmm. at the board here. We could have done this. We could have done that. Like, if you go back and realize and then do it for the second round, do it for the third round. Because what happens is you just start becoming very false duality, A to B, A to B, A to B, as opposed to really taking a step back and looking at it. So this week, the smart teams like New England, mm-hmm. they're gonna, they've taken snapshots of the board. So they know when they were sitting there at the bottom of the second and they traded out and they lost potentially some good players. And they got the guy in the third. They picked, I think, Damon Harrison the third or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. But they lost some good players. They'll go back and revisit, was that the right trade to make? Did we, would we have rather had a receiver, say Jalen Hurd, who got picked by San Francisco at the top, or the defensive lineman from Boston College? Whatever it is. You have to look at that and then analyze it because if you don't, you're sitting there. Then you're just a fan. Then you're just a fan. Because like, like we talked about, six days ago was a draft. Well, the fans have forgotten about it. But as an executive, you can't. That's your lifeline. you got to sit there and look at it and say, okay, here's where we are. That's interesting because part of me would say, what is the point of that? Because you feel like you'd be painstaking looking at mistakes going, ah, if only we'd done that, if only we could have that. You shouldn't live with regrets. But your point, if you play a football game, you don't just play the game and go, well, it was the best decision on third down. You watch the tape. You watch the tape. And you say, what could we have done here? How best could this have been avoided? What do we do next time? So similar with the draft, you go, guys, we were too eager about this. We shouldn't have been more desirous of this. Because of this decision, when we break camp, we got to be focused on this. I think you're right. You, you can only learn from your past by by examining it. Right. And, and I think the smart teams, I mean, Atlanta obviously knows that that from 20, let's say from 25 to 40, right? Mm-hmm. We know historically that's corner market. That's or There's always a corner. That's where the corners go. There's something mm-hmm. wrong with them. We also know that the linemen tend to slip off at that point, especially when Dillard went. Yeah. Atlanta saw Dillard go. Atlanta knew that if they wanted to get their guy, they couldn't wait. They knew it was going to start to happen. Whether one team, it didn't really matter. They knew the the tackle market, the Cody Ford market. We know Cincinnati was trying to trade up to get Cody Ford. We know that. So when you're sitting there watching it, instead of patting yourself on the back saying, oh, God, we got this board graded right. No, you got to figure out what you could have done better. And if you don't, look, we're in the information business. If you're not analyzing the data, then how are you going to get better? And then next year when you sit with your scouts, you can say, look, fellas, you guys can tell me all you want about player Y. You know, I'll give a, a Belichick would say, just fucking put him on the pro board, okay? Like, you guys want to, you know, like, 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 I know my man Mel will probably give Titus Howard, they gave him a bad, okay, gave him a bad grade. Right. But, like, put Titus Howard on the pro board. He's going to start in the NFL at right or left tackle. So, Mel might have him in the third round, but that would be like me trying to pick Julio Jones in the third round, right? right. It's just not happening. It ain't happening. I'm not, he's not going to be there. Right. They're never going to be there. So, and I'm not picking on Mel here, but like that's the part of the game. That's the part of the puzzle he doesn't know. He doesn't realize that if you don't pick this guy 20 to 40, you never get them. 
Well, that's the other part of it, too. What do you think just of the thought of Mel Kuyper's draft grades? Because there's an insatiable appetite to say, who do we draft? Well, what does Mel Kuyper think? Well, Mel, what Mel does is really easy. So Mel just looks at what his needs are and his value board, and he just checks it off. And if you follow his value board and based on what his needs are, you're going to get a high grade. He's, he's going to love your draft. If you don't and you go completely divergent in thought and go against everything he does, you're going to get a low grade. And frankly, if you get a low grade, you're probably better off because you're not thinking like Mel's thinking. Right. Because what Mel doesn't understand either is part of taking snapshots of the board is you're taking snapshot of the trade board too. So let's say you're you're, you're Oakland. And we're wondering why Oakland doesn't turn the card into 25. Well, they might have three trades up there on the board. Right. Okay. And they turned all three trades to pick Jacobs. But now when you take that snapshot after and you can analyze what well, we have been better off taking, we would have been better off taking player A or B and, instead of Jacobs, or we be, you know, you can now fill in the blanks because you got the results of the draft. Right. So all those trades become realistic. And so Mel doesn't see those trades. So he doesn't really know what you passed up. He doesn't have any idea of it. So he's dealing blindly, and it's all based on did you check off the needs of your team? When we know this, we know that first-round picks probably, probably will have some impact, maybe not a lot. Mm-hmm. We, everything else after that, they'll have little impact on the team. Very little. I mean, some might. There might. It might surprise you. I mean, J.C. Jackson's a college free agent and ends up starting in the Super Bowl. There'll be some of that. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, let's say there's 50 players that impact their team next year. Everything else is for the next year's team. Right. It's all for the next year's team. And if you get so caught up in your needs this year, you'll never figure it out. Which makes me think, I'm focusing a lot as a fan on the first round because a lot of these guys I know watching college football, et cetera. Day two and day three, you start to go, okay, I know that guy, I know that guy, I'm not really sure about this guy. Is, is there not as much importance paid to those days than there should be? Or to your point, no, there's a reason why a guy's a first-rounder and there's a reason why a guy's a third-rounder. Like how much of day two, day three of the draft are going to be impactful on a team building a winner? Well, like you take Chase Vinovich, the, the kid, the, the, the Patriots. Right. I mean, he's going to come in and he's never going to say, Bill Walsh used to say this all the time. We drafted Charles Haley in the fourth round, right? Mm-hmm. And the first thing he told every coach on the staff, he told Bill McPherson, he told George Seifer, the defense coordinator, is don't teach him the playbook. Charles Haley's coming in here to be designated pass rusher. All I want him to do every single day is spend time rushing the passer. Like, I don't give a shit if he knows any of our first and 10 defenses. He ain't playing first and 10. He's only going to be on the field. So what, once you draft, you have to develop a plan for these guys. Because if you give them the Manhattan phone directory and say, learn this, he ain't learning. You, you might as well put him off for next year. <laughs> right. right. So you got to define the role for the player as soon as you draft the player. That's how you have a good role. So what New England will do is Vinovich, though, he'll come in and here's his role. He's going to be, he's going to play this, this. They're going to teach him X, Y, and Z. Base defense. Here's going to be sacking quarterback, third and long. Here's what we do. Right. That's it. That's it. That's all. And then once he gets that, maybe we'll teach him a little bit more. We'll start to grow him. We'll start to allow him to learn more. They take Damian Harris. Okay, Damian Harris is going to have to learn, you know, the first down run, all the all the first down concepts, all that. However it is, whatever your plan is for the player, that's mm-hmm. how you have a good draft. And then once you put the player in that role if he can't do it you're going to cut him right you're going to cut him because he can't handle that role we can't let him do that so unless you draft him really high and you're just figuring out i I think that's the biggest problem i think part of the draft we never talk about Mm -hmm. is player development right we you got to develop the player that you picked and that allows that player to have an impact on your team moving forward to your point about player development and just later in the draft mr irrelevant who's the last pick the nfl draft went to the cardinals number 254 ucla tight end caleb wilson now 
each of the last six Mr. Elevants have appeared in at least one NFL game. So right. these guys do play. But your point, sometimes when you don't get drafted, that's better. Buffalo quarterback Tyree Jackson signed with the Bills. Georgia running back Elijah Holyfield signed with the Panthers. Those guys are getting a chance to prove themselves. And, you know, people are like, oh, get pissed off if they don't get picked. Like, uh, I think it's little Jordan Humphrey. Yeah. The kid who didn't run very well from Texas, but he's a huge receiver. He goes to the Saints, right? Right. It's the perfect team to go for because Sean will make him a quasi- F inside big slot. He's Marcus Colston for Sean Payton, right? right? So say he makes their team and he ends up becoming Marcus Colston. Mm-hmm. Well, the third year, the third year as a free agent, he's got to get a $3 million tender, which will probably be $4 million by the time he becomes. Whereas if he got drafted in the fourth round, his he would be on a base salary. He would be on a minimum salary for that fourth year. Oh, wow. So now he's got to get tendered. So all these so teams are getting smarter. Like if you can collect more seventh round picks mm-hmm. than free agents, you don't have to tender that money, and it helps save your cap because every million you can save here or there, you pick up going to skip somebody else. Wow. So being an undrafted free agent, in some ways is better for you. Sometimes it is, especially yeah. like on his case where he goes to the Saints, where I can exactly see as soon as I read his sign with the Saints, okay. He He's Colston. Right. He's going to – I mean, because I don't care what the kid ran. You've seen him play. The kid's yeah. big. He's physical. He's hard to tackle. Yep. He's going to play in the slot. He can block. They'll get him. The, if he has any quickness at all, they'll figure out a way to utilize him. It's all about the vision that you have for the player. And most good coaches scout inside out. And that's why some teams where these teams that are run by the general manager that have no idea how they're – you develop them, right? right. Like that, that, never, that doesn't work anymore. Mm-hmm. Like that doesn't work. Couple of thoughts here. First time in 60 years, Nebraska failed to have a prospect drafted. First time in 25 years, Virginia Tech failed to have a prospect drafted. Nebraska, to me, I mean, listen, Mike, they've been bad in the Big Ten for wow, a while, but bad. you would have thought, isn't there just one big, hulking, 300 pound kid from Lincoln, Nebraska? Yeah. The farmer raised him. He'll get drafted somewhere. Like, that's how bad Nebraska football They don't have one, like, old lineman you would pick. Normally, that'd right. always be a no brainer. Well, you know what happened in Nebraska is all those, all the Chamber of Commerce, okay? So in the whole state, yeah. that, you know, like, say you're in, uh, you know, some of those small little towns in Nebraska, the Chamber of Commerce would have the best player. They would pay a scholarship for the kid to go to Lincoln so it didn't cost them a scholarship. That's what that remember that walk on program they used to have at Nebraska, that right. great walk on program? Well, that was because all these little towns in Nebraska, the cities were like had the Chamber of Commerce. Oh, we want our kid to go there. Well, they've lost that whole thing. And now the other thing they've lost is player development. Like, it's too much. They, they're not developing any players. They're not getting any red shirts. And that's where the problems lie. And I think Frost will fix that. Yeah, Scott Frost is a Nebraska guy. There's a big hire. Like, hey, he'll come back. He obviously had success but at UCF. But I'm like, it, it's a big job. Right. It's hard. And, and if you don't have a – like, that's the part where good college coaches understand it's about player development. It isn't about getting five stars. It's about developing the players. Like, what is the plan for the player once we recruit them? You know, it's like some of these kids, like, they don't really need to bench press anymore. Like, they can bench press the moon. Like, yeah. some kids need flexibility. Like, that's when you bring all these rookies in. You're not bringing them in to see what you're, you're seeing where we have to work with them and develop them and how we're going to plan them. It's the actual player development that really matters. That's the secret sauce at the good teams in the NFL. One more on the draft before we get to Tyreek Hill. Who was the steal of this year's draft? People love this. I want to see years from now. Hey, Lombardi said this was a great value pick at this spot. He loves this kid wherever it is. People love this. Years from now. And if you win at this, Mike, you can hang your hat on this. Ten years from people say, GM shuffle, Lombardi called it. He said this was a great pick. I mean, I love the Titus Howard pick. I know that that was a first-round pick, but I love it. The other guy that I really loved, I love Treston Hill from Central Florida. Now, here's a kid that played for Scott Frost when he was there. At 2017, you put his tape on, you're saying, wow, that guy's a really good player. You're saying, holy shit, that guy's really good. And he wanted to transfer to Nebraska to follow through. 
but like most defensive linemen, didn't have it fully planned out with a lot of attention to detail, you know? Mm -hmm. So once he realized it was going to cost him a year and have to sit out a year and who's going to, you know, all that, he comes back. Well, he comes back and he kind of pisses off most of the coaches, okay? (laughs) Then his weight goes way up, right? His weight goes up to like 330. He can't play at that weight. So they get him back down. He starts one game for them. Not because he's not talented, because they're trying to make a statement about their program, right? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, Josh Heupel, the head coach of Central Florida, this kid's really talented. You get this kid with Marinelli in their defensive front. I mean, you get him going there, and you get him moving there. Mm-hmm. I think that could be really a, a hell of a pick. I think the the Saunders defensive tackle, I think he's from Western Illinois, one of those directional Illinois kids that the, that the Chiefs drafted, mm-hmm. I think he's really a talented player too. I think yep. sometimes you can find down the road, you can find some of these guys that are really talented that for some reason defensive linemen, they're a little askew. There's always something wrong with them. Yeah. And then I, I think the Miles Sanders pick is really good. Eagles are a great pick. I, I thought that was a great pick, especially yeah. where they got him at the value. And their running backs were so poor a season ago. They're 29th. Ajayi got hurt. Like that's, that's a need that you need to fill right away. He's an I, I mean, and I think, you know, they get Dillard, so they get a legitimate left tackle. They get the receiver from Stanford who can flat out fly. Our Sega he's, White side. he's their Torrey Smith guy now. They got So they've kind of got some pieces, and yeah. then they'll fill in the roles with the, what they need to do. The other teams that I think that do a good job is the teams that figure out, look, we didn't get this in the draft. We still need to go out and sign this. Yeah, We still need to go out and sign this. I mean, the, we saw today the Colts signed Spencer Ware. Okay, they didn't draft a running back. They didn't waste a pick on a running back that can't make their team, so they signed Spencer Ware. Yeah. That's smart. I also think the Bengals might have got a value pick Ryan Finley, quarterback at NC State, because yep. you get him later. Fourth round, 104th pick. Zach Taylor, the coach, might be able to make something work. Yeah, right. So he's you know a really smart kid, test score. You know, I mean, look, I think this draft's going to come down to, you know, Jarrett Stidham, the kid from Auburn, who really... Again, good pick for the Patriots. I mean, look, here's this kid. Okay, he's a five-star, four-star kid at Baylor with Art, Art Browse. Yep. Okay, and they have the, the absolute fiasco that happens there. Mm-hmm. And then he decides to leave Baylor and goes to Auburn. Now, really, if the kid was smart, he would have stayed at Baylor with Matt Rule. Because if he plays it with Matt Rule at Baylor, he's probably going to throw. He might have been a first or second round pick. He's easily better than Daniel Jones yes. if he plays in an offense that would have highlighted what he could do. That offense at Auburn, I'm not sure what the hell it is. They run power. <laughs> they run unbalanced. You know, Mel, I mean, I see I, my man gave up his – really disappointed me too. Gus Malzone gave up a sweater vest. Really yeah. disappointed me. Was, I, you know, like I'm not watching you, yeah. Gus, if you don't have the sweater vest. Iron Bowl not the same ever since he tried to change his look. Yeah, I mean, seriously, you're a sweater vest guy. Get the sweater vest on. <laughs> but anyway, that offense, seriously, this might be one of the worst offenses in football. And so you can't evaluate a quarterback in it or you can't – they can't train a quarterback. There. That's the other thing. You can't train them. Yeah. Last thought here on the draft, uh, that day, just as we're about to go to broadcast, and you go, okay, all the excitement here about these young players, the Tyreek Hill stuff comes out. I'm sure people now know what it is, but the leaked video comes out when she was uh, threatening abuse of his partner and talking about abusing his child. The immediate reaction seemed to be just this cacophony of noise here, Mike. It was like, hang on a second, everyone gets a second chance, but this guy hasn't repented, he's doing it again. The Chiefs right now have said, you know, obviously suspended him from, from team activities. But what does the league do? What do you think is right? You know, I, I've been on Twitter. I've been, you know, remember in the Zero Dark Thirty where Jessica Chastain's character comes in and keeps writing the dates on the board that they haven't done anything about? That's me right now with Tyreek Hill. Like at some point, Jesus Christ, NFL, Park Avenue, wake the hell up. Yeah. You let this kid in the league, what he did at Oklahoma State. Nobody, and I'm telling you, no one was drafting this kid coming out. Maybe the Raiders. Maybe Reggie McKenzie could have got Mark Davis to okay it. But other than that, no 
no other team did. And when the Chiefs picked him, they came out and said, we've done our homework on the kid. Yeah. And I said to somebody, like, what homework could you do? Like, seriously, what could you have done that proved he punched his pregnant girlfriend, yeah. which is the same woman? And he went to Akron. He couldn't get into Akron. They wouldn't let him in. Then he went to West Alabama. He got, like, no one denies there's the player, tremendous player. Mm -hmm. Like, my wife could have scouted the player. Like, everybody's giving John Dorsey, oh, he found Tyreek Hill in the fifth round. What a, yeah. John's got a magical eye. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> Millie could have found Tyreek Hill in the fifth round. Right. Okay? The reason he's there is there's circumstances that you can't get your hands around. Like, you can't feel comfortable ever taking that guy. Yeah. And then this video comes out, and Park Avenue's sitting over there still debating it. Meanwhile, Tom Brady allegedly pumps footballs, and we just drag his name through the mud. Right. Seriously? Like, wh where's this? I mean, you know, a guy takes uh, a substance or a guy gets caught smoking dope. Josh Gordon's out of football. There's a little child that is no longer with their parents. Yeah. That's a fact. That's a fact. I mean, I, I, and so you're not doing anything about that? Like, there's a reason they took that kid from their parents. Yeah. And, and I mean, I don't see how you can just keep going on. Another day? Like, another day? We, we need more. What are we going to find out? And the Chiefs, I truly think the Chiefs want nothing to do, AD. I think they want nothing to do with them making a decision. I think they want to put it on the league. Here's why I get confused with Andy Reid. A part of me says he gives these guys a second chance because what his own kids went through, drug problems, et cetera, been in prison. So he says, you know what? I've had issues with my own kids raising them. I'm inclined to give other people a second chance. But then I say, is it that or is it just win at all costs and I'm going to get the best player available and to your point, worry about the repercussions if the league wants to do something. I don't know which one it is. I used to think well, Andy Reid was, just had a big heart, but then I'm like, hang on, did, to your point. We just you, gave $100 million to Frank Clark. Frank Clark did it at Michigan. Right. Okay. Got, and you just rewarded Frank Clark. Seattle said, look, we love Frank Clark. We yeah. love Frank Clark. Yeah. I, they had a guy in Seattle that used to have to monitor Frank Clark. I mean, he was with them all the time. Yeah. And Frank Clark is a really good football player. They, we're talking personally. There, but there could be a time bomb. And then that time bomb could really go off if I give you $100 million. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, you start, give, you start paying guys and you don't know where they're going. The Chiefs were getting ready to pay Tyreek Hill. That's fact. They're getting ready. They were going to give him, well, if you paid Sammy Watkins $16 million, what do you think we're going to give Tyreek Hill? Yeah. Think about it. They're going to give Tyreek Hill upwards near 20. Mm -hmm. He was going to get probably one of the highest paid contracts not to a quarterback. Okay. He was going to be, because this guy, as Al Davis used to say, no, just put him on my team. <laughs> put him on my team. Like, if he shifts the balance of power. Yeah. He changes the field. Right. But where is the accountability? Ultimately, you go, I get the fact he's a superstar player, but let's be accountable. Yeah. You got Kareem Hunt. Okay, you know, Dorsey drafts. I mean, Dorsey has made a career taking guys that are on the edge of character. Right. And look, he's gotten away with it. I'm not being jealous or bitter, but to a degree, I think at some point you got to say, wait a minute, John. Like, there's got, like, Greedy Williams. Like, I talked to one, there's some teams were just not taking Greedy Williams. Yeah. A, he won't tackle anybody. When you take a corner that can't tackle, yeah. you never can balance your defense. You never balance your defense because there's one side of your defense that's always bad. But John's had success. And then what John does is, is almost in class Al Davis fashion, he says, well, it's the coaches. It's up to the coach now. You fix it now. You fix it. It's on you. Yeah. You know, where that worked for Al in the 60s when the problems were a little less than what they are today. Right. Or, and the climate was way different. I mean, you know, back then, if you, you went home driving and you weren't in the 60s and you were drunk and you, a cops pulled you over and you were a player, they would probably drive you home. Right. Yeah. Today, that that rightfully so, that ain't the same climate. 
And so, you know, things change. And I, and I just think, to me, this Tyreek Hill, is, it, it's bad for the league. And I heard all the rhetoric about, well, you know, they don't want to upset the draft. No bullshit. Do the right thing when it's right. Yeah. You know, it, when and I, wrote, and I tweeted this out, too. Remember when Tony went to uh, Ralphie and he said, you know, this thing of ours requires us to do it as, as a law and order, or things do it in a timely fashion? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Remember? It's a great line. Right? It's a timely fashion. <laughs> and he stressed timely. <laughs> And then the next thing we know, we see Vito kill little Jackie Jr. Right. Timely is important in all matters right. when it's really sensitive. Timely. Now, I'm not saying you should rush the judgment. I think due process plays, but timely is important. And there's no timely effect here. Speaking of the Sopranos, I, I was reading some articles about the Kentucky Derby this week. I'm not a huge horse racing guy. I don't know if you are. No. But I just always think of Pio Mai. That's all I think. <laughs> I just think of Ralphie. Go, Tony, it's a freaking horse. Like, yeah. who cares? Yeah. I still can't believe he sprayed Raid in his eye. <laughs> like, he killed Pantoliano over a horse. Yeah. Like, as soon you want him, Ralphie, he was a great earner. Like, he's oh, a he great, was great earner. Like... He was, and he was a great character. <laughs> oh, he was, he was a great He had some of the greatest jokes of all time. Really, they wrote, they wrote Frank, they wrote Ralphie really well. Oh, my God. He was a psycho. Somebody said to me, they go, if it was Goodfellas, he'd be the Joe Pesci character. No right? doubt. He's the no, crazy no mechanic, well, but people love him. You know what I watched on the plane? I was flying all over the place. I watched Departed again. Oh, yeah. God. There, I mean, Jack Nicholson has some incredible lines in that movie. <laughs> the stuff that he says about Freud and he's, he's insulting Matt Damon and like just he's, just, it's he's like, so unhinged. Remember, he's taking the ring off the guy's hand. Yeah. It's, just, it's so disgusting. It's unbelievable. Yeah. That whole cast is unreal. DiCaprio and Damon. The fact that Damon is impotent in the movie. Like they just they just slide that in yeah, there. They just put it in there. <laughs> this guy can't get it up. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Moving on. I mean, and we're living in a world where Viagra. We had uh, this guy, Rum Run Jones, <laughs> a great Raider store. So we had this guy, Rum Run Jones, right? Yeah. And Rum Run was a roller derby guy. He used to do roller derby. Yeah. And so so John Madden took him in and basically lets him live in the facility, mm -hmm. and he becomes a ball boy. Yeah. And they pay, the Raiders pay him, and he lives in the facility. Then when we moved to Oakland, he lives in the facility. He became like a cult figure, yeah. slick back, white hair. He would run on the field. He had this deep voice, yep. you know. And he was the only Republican that I've known that basically had no income coming in at all. Okay, like everything about this man was Democratic, except for he would watch Fox News every day, right? <laughs> Right. You normally vote Republican when you make a lot of money because yeah. of tax cuts. He had yeah. no money. He, he had no money, but no. he was watching Fox News because right. he was a patriot. He was an, uh, he thought it was the only way. So we used to kid him all the time. I used to say to him, his form of currency yeah. was Viagra. So if I said to him, run, run, I need a ride to the airport. That'll be 10 pills. That meant $100 because yeah. each pill was 10 bucks. Yeah. That was his form of currency. <laughs> And so that's how he, you would get to the end. I'm going to, oh, that's fifth, five pills. So you'd have to give him 50 bucks. Right. So that, that's how he communicated his former. So one day I got so pissed off at him. So he's yeah. supposed to be in charge of shopping. He's supposed to make the coffee, go get like snacks around the office. But yeah. of course, naturally, Rum Runs can't do much of anything, right? Yeah. And I used to tell him, Rum the only reason you're fucking still alive is because of Viagra. You'd have been dead 10 years ago. Like you'd have had no reason to live. <laughs> like Viagra is keeping you alive and it's pissing off all the insurance companies in America, right? right. The, the only reason you're here. So one day I got so pissed off at him, right? And he would be on his telephone or he would take a nap over in the corner of like his living room, which is where we would all watch TV. And so... There was no coffee. The coffee pots are burning up. There's no ice cream and there's nothing going on. So I yeah. said, you know, run, run. You know, you're either going to die right here in front of this coffee pot. You're going to die right in that chair or you're going to die in your bed back in the room. And so unfortunately, I felt so bad. Like years later, I get a phone call right in front of the coffee pot. Oh, man. So but he lived a great three. life. He lived yeah. a great life. How he old was he when he died? Well, nobody really. 
really knows. Nobody has any idea. I mean, we're going to have to pull teeth to find out how old he really was. It was a good run, nonetheless. I mean, he had he had it going. I mean, he was truly. He would sit there, and and it would always be he would watch somebody on TV, and he would always ask, "Would you do her?" Oh, <laughs> that was his thought. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> so Gretchen Judge Judy, on. yes, yes. <laughs> We are not going to top that. This is the GM Shuffle. Come back next week. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your shows. We're looking forward to hearing from you. Thank you.